Thank you so much for tuning in, race fans. It means a lot. If you enjoy our podcast, a great way to support us is by leaving a rating or review. And if you include your Formula One hot take or unpopular opinion in your review, we'll shout them out on the show. That's where people were chanting during Max's national anthem, F you, Max. <gasps> no. I'm Caroline. I'm not Christina. Welcome back to Gravel Trap F1. Christina's on a plane today, so I'm helping out with the intro. Last week, Christina and I went to Miami and have tons to share with you. I watched the race from my couch, so I can't wait to hear about what it was like in person. Let's get into it. At the Gravel Trap F1 podcast, as co-hosts, got to finally meet in the same room at the same time. What was that? A week ago? Oh, two weeks ago? It feels like it was eons ago, but we went to... It was like a week and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We went to the Miami Grand Prix and we got to be there together and I got to see just how tall I was compared to Christina in real life. It did not disappoint. I think I hugged you like... 10 times in the first hour. I just couldn't stop hugging you because I was so excited to be there with you. <laughs> it was so surreal. Just like everybody, not just you, but like there were so many of us. Yeah, which surprised me. We only exist as little like screens to each other. And then to all of a sudden it'd be like, you're a real person. I can yeah. touch you. And you're here in front of me. What? You're not, you're not just a floating torso mm-hmm. on my phone. You're a real person. <laughs> It's so surreal, but so fun. It's so true. And I was, somebody asked me today, you know, what was it like in Miami? And I, I said to them, I honestly feel like it was a dream. Like Mm -hmm. I have to go back and watch the videos and it is my new happy place. The memories made in Miami is my new happy place that I kid you not. I replay in my brain every single day. Like when someone is being a menace on the road, I just replay in my brain. The joys of the Miami Grand Prix. And then I don't think about running them over. It's great. (laughs) These are a few of my favorite things. Yeah. But Christina, fill Mm -hmm. us in. Give us some recap on what happened at the Miami Grand Prix, technically. Because for our listeners, I mean, when you attend, you don't really get the full scope but Christina is a rock star and I feel like always knows the things that I don't know as I'm sitting there watching it. <laughs> and I would have to say that there's like, if we want to go through like the three big highlights of it, the first being Max Verstappen's race just overall was, it was a classic. It was classic Max. He started in ninth, lost places at the start, which was so irregular for him. Like that was really weird for me to just look up and be like, lost places what the heck like Mm -hmm. so abnormal such a weird thing but then he regained them by the end of the first or second lap something like that so there's the Verstappen we all know and love and then proceeded to do his first stint where he got all the way up to second by lap what was it 15 or something like 10 laps earlier than Fernando had predicted because Alonso had predicted Max would be up in second by the 25th lap so which is awesome (laughs) really really Class drive from Max again. And then he did his first stint on his hard tires up until like the last, I want to say five, six laps. 
absolutely amazing. Did all his overtaking on the hard tires, which that was really, really like just highlight. Absolute highlight of the race. He then goes on to win. But also how? Like, right? I feel like that's the biggest question I had coming out of it. Like, how? How? It's, how did it happen? <laughs> it's one of those really wild things. An interesting thing that I learned afterwards, because, of course, there's this giant chasm between the Max and Checo fans where, you know, Checo fans, generally speaking, feel like Red Bull favor Max and shaft Checo a little bit, which is a whole discussion for another time about that team dynamic. But the reason why Max was on this particular strategy and it worked so well for him was that he made that decision on his own with members of his team. I don't recall which members in particular, but he had a conversation either with his race engineer or one of his strategists, and then they brought it to the rest of the team. So in this case, it wasn't the team favoring Max. Mm -hmm. It was that Max had a private discussion with somebody and they made this plan and then brought it to everybody else. So also cool layer to Verstappen is just how in charge of his own destiny and race he is. Like, yeah, love seeing that. Yeah. So, you know, Max's, Max's race overall, highlight one. Highlight two, and I don't even think this is a highlight, but poor Logan Sargent. Oh my gosh. Just not having a good weekend at all. No. Like he... It was sad. It was sad. Qualified 20th, then got hit in the wing. I don't even remember who hit him or how he got that damage, but he had to pit during the second or third yeah. lap and then was just trudging yeah. along in 20th for the whole race. That's how we knew that the leaders were going to be coming around the corner shortly and to pull out our phones was because we That's saw hilarious. we saw Sergeant in his little Williams just going by. Aww, he was our marker. I know. Like, and you wanted to see him succeed because it's like, it's an extra home race for him. Like, yes, he's American, but he's also from Fort Lauderdale. So yeah, that's like racing in your backyard. And yeah, yeah. I wanted it to be better for him. But the- I actually thought that Alex did a pretty good job mm-hmm. over the course of the weekend. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, Albon rarely has bad weekends. Every time I look over at how Alex Albon's doing, I'm like, nice. Go, Alex. Go, Alex. And then, I mean, I don't know if this is a race highlight, but the third thing about the racing from that weekend that sticks out to me is just, what the heck are Ferrari doing? And more specific, Charles, why are you making the same mistake twice? Yeah. It's one of those things where, as a Ferrari fan, because we're all Ferrari fans, I think that the journey of the Ferrari fan is that you care so deeply at the beginning, and then you learn to not let yourself care that much ever again because it just hurts mm-hmm. to keep caring that deeply. And that sounds terrible, but, and I care. I'm not saying I don't care. I absolutely care. And it's hard to watch. And I think that that's why we have to like mm-hmm. steal ourselves to be like, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like you have to have your threshold of, this is where I'm going to start to care and have hope again. It's like I need to see X number of podiums in a row or race wins kind of a thing. And once that happens, then I'll feel okay being like, anything's possible again. Yeah. But until then, I'm just like, you do your best, sweetie. It's fine. Okay. (laughs) Hypothetical question. Do you think that Charles needs to do more of what Max does at Red Bull to see success at Ferrari? I think so. I think the big differentiation between 
Charles and Max currently is that Max is fully engaged in all of the aspects of the team. And I think of just a slightly more couple steps ahead Mm -hmm. of where Charles is right now. Like, I don't recall if it was an interview or a pundit or whatever, but somebody posited that Charles had been depending on his talent and his driving ability for so long, which they're a driver. That is that is what they spend so much time and dedication concentrating on, which is fair to do up to the like F3, F2 level. But once you hit F1, you are part of an engineering challenge. And as a driver, you have to give feedback. You have to be a much larger part of that big picture. And the kind of idea yeah. was that Charles just hadn't fully made that shift yet to be like, I'm a full mm. part of every aspect of this team, of developing the car fully, basically just mm. depending a bit too much on other teammates and not being as driver, like, take the steering wheel, Charles, like the metaphorical one this time, not just the literal one. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I I, I would say that there's there's something he's missing. And I do think it's an engagement piece of the team. Well, were there any other highlights from the time in Miami or the Miami race itself that we need to think about as we prepare for Imola? Well, I don't know if we need to think about it for Imola, but like the fun stat that came out of it, it was the first race that had no yellow flags and no DNFs or red flags, like no stoppage of any kind in, I want to say close to Mm -hmm. two, three years. Like, we we went and we looked up after the race where it was, and I can't even recall where it is, but like it was a hot minute of like, wow, everyone just drove clean and it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I remember pointing that out because we had these two guys that were Australian, but they live in London now. They were sitting next to us and they were not, I mean, I'm not saying they weren't fans of Formula One, but they hadn't gone to a race since they were kids. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know as much about how a race works and everything. And so I was like, ha, 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 we're going to bring in some new fans. And just was explaining, and I wasn't, I want to clarify, I wasn't pushing my, you know, knowledge on them in any way. They were, they would ask and I would answer questions. But I said to them, I said, this is an unusual race to be one of your first ones because it didn't stop at all, start to finish. It was the same. And so that is not typical, Mm -hmm. but lucky for them, it was one of the faster races because it didn't stop. And so it was over much sooner, I think, than a lot of us were anticipating it being over. Yeah, it was a quick one. And there was was one other stat now that if... While you think about that, do you agree whether or not the race was boring? Because the immediate response everyone had was that was a boring race. I don't think it was boring. Yeah, I don't think it was boring. But a huge thing is, again, the coverage. And a lot of the time, they would spend so much time on, hey, did you know that Max is 20 seconds ahead? And it's like, yes, we know that. He's up there. He's still up there. Cut to him when something changes, maybe. Like, check on him every 10 laps or something. I don't know, but not as frequently. Mm. I don't need a third of the race coverage being him. Because this race (laughs) actually had the most overtakes of the season so far. And yes, like half of them were max. Like, we will recognize that. But as far as battles go and track to track, like wheel to wheel action, it was good. There were things that were happening. It just wasn't the big dramatic crash boom. I think that a lot of people associate with action. It was more so, no, you have to have the ability Yeah. To see the right things on track at the right moment. And that comes down to the broadcasters. Like, 
pay attention to what's actually going on on track and show the right things. Yeah, I agree with Christina. What did you remember your fact, Christina, that you were going to say? The stat? Just that it was the race with the most overtakes this season. That was the thing I was remembering. Yeah, I didn't think it was boring. I thought it was fast Mm -hmm. because there was no stopping. But I didn't think it was boring because I actually felt like being in Miami, you're surrounded by more Checo fans. And so qualifying was nuts. It was crazy to be surrounded by Checo fans during qualifying because of how things ended at the end of Q3. It was nuts. And then it was exciting when you came to race day because Checo was starting on pole and Max was starting, what, P9? And Mm -hmm. um, so for all the Checo fans, it was exciting to see Checo have a chance. What was hard was watching the dreams die because (laughs) I feel like Checo fans, they're fans of Checo, but they're also fans of Red Bull. So like they're happy that Red Bull's winning, but they wanted it to be Checo. Yeah. But I will say everybody was really nice. Everybody was kind. Everybody was respectful. I was really worried. Like I even said to our lovely Australian friends, I said, things might get a little out of hand because of the way this ended. And so. Well, like where we were, it got a little uncomfortable. Oh, really? Yeah. The majority of the people around us were Checo fans. And then there were a handful of people that were like cheering for Max. And so when that shift happened, it was like, palpably uncomfortable because all these people were just like, gosh darn it, Max passed. And to a certain extent, it's like, yes, Max passed him. That was kind of always going to happen. But then you have these Max fans that are just like cheering and really happy, but it's made uncomfortable because everyone else around them is so unhappy. And then when the podium started, there was actual booing for Max during his national anthem. No. And on the other side of the garden, yeah, And we were on like the right side under the podium and over on the other side of like this little green space. That's where people were chanting during Max's national anthem, F you, Max. (gasps) No. And I didn't hear it, but we saw the video of it afterwards. Yeah. Like it was, it was very uncomfortable because it was like very disrespectful very quickly of just like, you don't have to like him, but why, why are you bringing this? energy. It's one thing to boo someone doing something really shitty on track. And I think that's completely fair. But there's no need when they had a clean race, especially like Mm -hmm. there's literally no reason to boo him during the podium. That's just ridiculous. Well, and I heard people booing him when they did the whole walkout announcement my man Will I Am was like over here conducting this, you know, eight-piece string orchestra. And we had LL Cool J announcing the drivers coming out. And I did hear them booing Max when LL Cool J announced Max. But it didn't last very long. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that makes it okay. It wasn't okay, but it didn't last very long. And I feel like it's different mm-hmm. to do it during his national anthem. I feel like that's just even more disrespectful and to chant such unkind things. We don't, we don't condone that. We don't stand for that. I don't care. I don't care even if he did something during the race that was controversial or or he shouldn't have done, or it wasn't a clean race. Yeah. People, they're people at the end of the day. And he won and he won fair and square. Yeah. With a great recovery drive in a rocket ship. 
So, like, <laughs> I loved how so many pundits were being like, wow, Max is starting from ninth. This is going to be such a challenge. And I'm like, it's not, though. No, it's not. We all know it's going to be. Remember when he started from 15th? Like- <laughs> Didn't stop him. <laughs> Let's just talk for a little bit about the overall experience of the race weekend. I know a lot of people have a lot of questions about like, how do you handle transportation to the track? How do you handle accommodations? What was it like? Mm -hmm. Do you want to have general admission or do you want to have grandstand seats? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll share a little bit about my experience. And I know Christina and I had a similar experience, um, but I know Christina would probably be able to offer a perspective that is also super helpful because you actually stayed with a bunch of other content creators who are lovely, by the way. I just want to stress that the content creators <laughs> in this space are some of the loveliest people I've ever met. And it's why Formula One, yes, Formula One will always hold a really special place in my heart because I feel like the fans that I meet are just kind people. They're, They're just good people. And I remember there was a situation I was walking from the track to the ride share area to like get my, you know, Uber back to the hotel. And it was the only time I was by myself. And I, ne- I want to also say Miami did a good job of having security everywhere. They had enough water. They did a good job of making sure people felt safe the whole weekend. I did not feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. It just briefly crossed my mind as once I had left the track and I was walking to the r- rideshare zone and I was seeing, I was in a throng of fans and I felt safe. And then the further you go, the less fans there are around you because people start to disperse. And I just had the thought, I'm here by myself for this like couple of hours because my mom had left because my mom was with me earlier the week and then my husband joined me on the weekend, but he couldn't get there till late on Friday. So after the track on Friday, I was by myself and I just turned to this group of girls and I was like, Hey, is it okay if I stand with you guys while I wait with my Uber so I don't look alone? And they were like, Oh my gosh, yes. So kind. I feel like sometimes you hear these stories of people being really disrespectful or people really being really mean. And I will say that's the minority that exists in every sport. It really is. But that is the minority in this sport because everybody I've met has just been absolutely lovely. Bottom to top, general admission to paddock. Everybody's been so kind. So, okay, you go, Christina. Oh, man, it was – I'm I'm just trying to remember what even happened because, I mean, talking about meeting nice people, like, yes, there were those of us that, like, had known that we would be meeting up with each other before mm-hmm. the race – and mm-hmm. so, like, made that conscious effort to make it happen. But the handful of people that we met during the race weekend as well, like, yeah. they were also like, oh, we're on F1 TikTok. And we've seen some of your videos. And that mm-hmm. was a really cool moment of just being like, oh, my gosh, this is great. And now you just roll right into talking about your theories and just enjoying it. And again, like you were walking alone, one of the girls we met up with, she, she had bought her ticket by herself. And she ended up mm-hmm. hanging out and watching the race with us. And so it's like Oh, that's great. Like honestly, if even if you don't make videos on TikTok or Instagram or wherever you're most engaged in social media, interact with accounts. Like mm-hmm. get familiar with the different usernames and their little profile picture. And then when they say, Oh, I'm going to the race, if you're going as well, remember that and see if you can like yeah. just just message them and be like, hey want to hang out, want to have a good time because 90% of the time, it'll absolutely be fabulous. Like yeah, having those little moments of meeting a couple other people where it was just like, yes, 
Let's talk F1 more. Yes, let's be excited together. Truly, it's it's so much fun. And speaking of meeting people over the course of the weekend, um, I had a really good time hanging out with Puma and I got to meet Mick Schumacher, who was nice. awesome. He was so kind. Mm-hmm. And so I will say to any of our listeners, if you ever find yourself at a race and you are, even if you're not at the track and you're having the opportunity you see a driver or you see somebody from the team and you want to meet them, always ask first. Don't just go up to them and expect them to interact with you. Always ask and say, hey, is now a good time? Is it okay? And be prepared to be told no and don't get upset about it because they're there for their job. They have a schedule that they're trying to keep and things are trying to do. Anyways, Mick Schumacher could not have been kinder. I don't think that I was supposed to like meet him in that moment. But I did ask yeah. and I was like, hey, is it okay if I go say hi or not? And the person that was like showing me around, she was really nice and was like, I don't think you're technically supposed to, but let me see if he's okay with it. And he was. And I was like, ah, he's okay with it. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things about the reserve drivers is that yeah. they're there to watch and to listen and to just soak yeah. it all in to a certain extent. So I feel like if you get a chance to meet them, it's kind of like the best window of opportunity you get because yeah. the full-time drivers they are so busy like we saw at the Red Bull station we saw Max and Checo leaving from their appearance and then Yuki mm-hmm. and Nick arriving and it was just like the fastest thing get them on and off the carts away from the building yeah. into the little like gated area there just blink and you'll miss it kind of a moment yeah. but like we ran into Giovinazzi in oh my gosh, a yes, hotel lobby. <laughs> and and like he was literally just just waiting for a car, I assume, at the front of this hotel. I honestly felt bad for him because he was waiting before we got there. And then and then our car got there before his car got there. Like I almost was you, like, do you need a lift to the track? Because that's where we're going. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> but I was like, you know, thing. not a chance he's going to get in the car with us. Right? <laughs> what kind of car was picking him up? Was he waiting for a Ferrari? Because that might be worth it. It was like a, it minutes. was like the Ferrari transport, yeah. like Ferrari. So the Ferrari team, this was at this was at the hotel that I was staying at. And Christina and Neha and Nicole had come over. It was the day that we filmed the yeah. podcast. It was after we had filmed the podcast episode. We were all going to the track together and we walked downstairs because the Ferrari team had like Ferraris parked out there, but they also had like bands and buses and stuff to because they were taking the whole team. So not going to take the whole team in Ferraris to <laughs> the track. But um, but I don't know why Giovinazzi was, right? was leaving so much later than everybody else, but he was. And uh, he was there, but hey, glad he was because he got he was so kind. He got a picture with us and everything. I actually was on the elevator with him earlier that morning. So he probably thought, this girl is stalking me because I was on the elevator with him. And then I come back around. I'm like, hey, I'm here with my friends. Do you want to like get a picture with us now too? Oh my God. But anyways, he was, he was really kind about yeah. it. And I don't know what he ended up getting picked up in because, again, we got picked up before he like. did. Um, but I guess he made it fine and dandy. Um, but I will say Nick DeVries is, I feel like, the most like non-driver acting of the yeah. drivers because when we – he was so nice in the best way, in the best way because I feel like the, all the other drivers, because – they're drivers, like they're Formula One drivers. They have their personnel that walks around with them and opens the door and like keeps their schedule and, you know, sometimes can have this, una- not unapproachable, but just an understanding that they're doing their job and you don't mess with them. 
Nick Debris. We were we were in the paddock on Saturday before qualifying. And I kid you not, we're walking through Hard Rock Stadium and sweet Nick DeVries sees us coming. And instead of just continuing to walk, he opens the door and like holds the door for us to go by. And I was like, oh my gosh, you gentle, kind man. That was so nice of you. And I was like, I even looked at him and I said, what a gentleman. And I thought to myself, those are my first words ever to Nick Debris. What a gentleman. That is that is good. <laughs> and um, we saw Otmar. Oh. And he was on a mission. And we were like, hey, Otmar. Good to see you. Um, but yeah, any, everybody was so kind. I can't stress enough to our listeners that when you go to an F1 race, you're going to meet some really nice people. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend, if anybody can, to get there early. Oh, yeah. Because... There's more that happens usually around the race than just the race and free practices and qualifying themselves. Usually yeah. there are other things that are happening in and around the city that are fun to go to and worth looking into. Pop-up shops. I had people ask me how to research that. I have no idea. I just kind of like, yeah, I just kind of stumble upon them. Usually it's Christina finding them or somebody else finding them. And then I'm like, cool, let's go. Um, although I will say... Mm-hmm. I feel like we learned about myself this past weekend that I am not a party animal. I do not go to things past uh, 9.30 p.m. Oh, my goodness. Um, most of the time, I don't if I have something to do the next day. But I'm an old lady, and that's okay. Because guess what? For all you old ladies out there that also want to attend Formula One races, there are things that happen during the day. There are also things that happen during the day. So it's fine. And <laughs> You know what I discovered about myself on that trip? What? The thing I learned about myself is that I like Red Bull. The drink or the team? The drink. Gotcha. <laughs> Sorry. Should have been clear. I enjoy drinking Red Bull. She's just like very serious. I like Red Bull. I'm like, oh, revelation. <laughs> okay. No, the drink. So Nicole found out that Neha and I hadn't tried Red Bull. And so she bought an assortment from the regular classic one all the way to like the fun fruity flavors that they have. And we tried the first one, the OG, and we just like, I did not enjoy it. It tasted like Mm. juice that had been left in a caught car on a summer's afternoon for like six hours. Melted Jolly Rancher. Like it just such Mm -mm. an odd, it, it's an acquired taste. I recognize that. But then, then we tried the fruity ones. We tried dragon fruit, Juneberry, mm. and then we tried apricot and peach and tropical. So do they do we know what flavor is like Max and Checo's favorite or if they have a favorite? Well, 90% of the time they're just drinking out of the Red Bull Classic, whether that be a water bottle with the Red Bull Classic on the outside or an actual Red True. Bull that's the right. classic. Yeah, no, I do not think that they drink Red Bull all weekend long. Absolutely not. <laughs> but they do the spray thing when they win. Yeah, all this to say, <laughs> and that's with real Red Bull. I've only seen them with the classic Red Bull label. I have no recollection, and they must. I'm sorry, they're around so much Red Bull. They must try other flavors. But again, I don't know the international distribution for this Red Bull. Sure. Um, I I do want to talk just a second about what some of the stuff is that I learned in the Mercedes garage because I yeah. think that's pretty cool. They do a really good job of detailing what you can and can't film, um, which is interesting to me because you can film from the front, but you can't film from behind, which begs the question, what's behind 
that has to be kept secret? I don't know. Obviously, they're not giving me any of the secrets during this tour. But one thing that was really cool was that they have chemical engineers in the garage that are testing every like pass of fuel the whole weekend long, all the oil, all the fuel, everything. And they have all these really cool testing equipment that they're using to find any, they said that they're like, there's the story of the car is in the fuel, which I thought was so poetic and really cool. I didn't know that beforehand that they had them in the garage with them. I knew that they had a team that was there, but I didn't realize that they had little offices in the actual garage and that they have a little infrared laser on the front wing that determines the temperature of the tires. I thought it was a sensor on the inside of the tire, but it's a little, they showed me the little thing and I was like, oh, it's so cute. It's like this little teeny tiny infrared little laser that determines the things of the tire. thought that was pretty cool. Everything is so much bigger in real life than it feels when you watch it on the TV. Like I feel like I am the wingspan of the front wing, which was a little bit crazy to realize just how big things were. And nobody, I will say, I didn't touch anything unless I was told to touch it. But I had the thought, anybody could just touch this front wing right now. Like it's right here in the open and I could very easily just go, and no one could stop me. Like, and no one could stop me. Like, but I didn't do it. I wanna, I wanna clarify. I didn't do it. But I had the thought, like every you know how you have those toddler thoughts in your mind where you're like, I'm a child right now. I had some of those while I was there, but I didn't do it. I resisted my childlike urges because I said we gotta be respectful. But truly, everybody was so nice. And when I was touching the uh, the tire warmer, all I could think about was how much I wish I had one of those in my house in December all the time because I would just curl up in it all the time. I feel like that would be a really cool souvenir. I don't know if the teams like get rid of old ones, but if they do, I'd like to buy one from them because they're so warm. Well, hey, with the reg changes, maybe they'll be available. So we asked him about that. We asked him if they're like pushing towards getting rid of them. And he said yes, because of the economic impact or whatever. And he had said that they had actually determined that, and I don't want to get it wrong, but they had determined that if everybody made, if everybody on the team made one less cup of coffee every weekend, that it would save like a ton of trees or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like it was just like the economic impact of everybody having one less coffee every weekend was astronomical and that getting rid of the tire blankets was even greater than that. The other thing that was cool was he was saying that they're like, they have like a phrase there that it's everybody contributes their 10th and that everybody feels responsible for a 10th of like time. And I thought, I was like, what a really nice, little antidote to keep in your brain as you're working on the car is like, I'm working on my 10th. I'm working on my 10th of a second to get him that 10th of a second faster. And I was like, that's so cool. And that they have physicians on hand all the time at every race that keep people at their optimal hydration. Because he said every like 1% of hydration lost is like a 10% performance loss which I was like, whoa, of, of the person contributing to the car, which I was like, that's 
So cool. So they have people that are dedicated literally to just keeping everybody at optimal hydration. Wow. And I was like, how does one get that job? Like, I find it's wild that they that they put the time into quantifying that. Yeah. Like, to have that statistic, you have to do a study. Crazy. Also, the guy that was giving us the tour is like a professor. And I was like, bro, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, Ariana, what are you doing here? <laughs> that wasn't his name. His name was Gary. But oh that's gosh. a reference for you to look up, Buck. If you didn't get the reference, that's one for you to look up. Anyway, that was all I... I mean, I, I wanted to just have a microphone on me the entire time to just record everything because it was just like knowledge, just straight knowledge coming out. But it was really cool. If anybody ever gets a chance to do it, I highly recommend it in any garage. I mean, truly with any of them because, I mean, you get so close. I mean, mm-hmm. you get I touched Lewis Hamilton's steering wheel and I had the thought, if anything goes wrong this weekend, it's probably because I touched it. You didn't try and so, slip a piece of anyway. gum behind the clutch paddle? <laughs> I didn't. No, I didn't have any gum on me. But if I did, oh I wouldn't God. have done it. <laughs> Although I will say, because I do feel like you hear a lot of times on the Ferrari radio, you hear mode push, right? They say mode push, mode push. And we asked Gary, and I say we, my husband asked Gary where the mode push button was because he was talking about the different mode buttons. Mm-hmm. And he said that Mercedes doesn't have a mode push button. On the, on the steering wheel. And everything is so labeled on the steering wheel that you would, like, we were looking for it and we couldn't find it. And he was like, is there a mode push button? And he was like, no, that's not something that we do. And I was like, whoa. But there's like 15 different strategy buttons on there. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Hamilton's yeah. right foot is the mode push button. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> they needed a hammer time button. I should have asked. There wasn't a button that was, that was labeled hammer time, but man, that would have been cool if there was. Honestly, I would have just, if I was Lewis Hamilton, I would just ask for a hammer time button and like have it not really do anything, mm-hmm. but just like to have that button yeah. and to like scare the bejeebus <laughs> out of people of just like, it's hammer time. Yeah. <laughs> like give me a big red That'd scary so button. Cool. That'd be so cool. I need it. Ejection seat button. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so great. That should have been a prank they played on George Russell when he joined. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes.